0: You are listening to an audio message from The Well, a church in Hastings, Nebraska that seeks to be relevant, relational, and real. For more information, visit www.TheWellHastings.com. Turn in your Bibles to the book of James with me. Are you guys excited to jump into this or what? I'm stoked. I'm stoked. I'm excited. I enjoyed uh, enjoyed uh, the, the study this week as I prepared for this, so... Um, it 's good stuff, listen, a few years ago I went to a to a minister 's retreat that was held at a lake well, it was it a cabin on a pond lake type of thing okay so the uh, the lake itself could have been considered a pond for some people that live on like one of the coasts. It would be considered like a puddle uh, and it was about probably roughly half a mile wide <clears throat> this this lake this pond and I got there the first night and There was probably 12, 15 of us that were staying in this cabin, all youth ministers uh, at this retreat uh, during the summertime, getting ready to dig into some scriptures and and learn some things about youth ministry. And uh, the other youth leaders that were there were far younger than I, didn't have any gray hair yet, and uh, this for me was about five years ago. And um, these other younger people that were there decided that it would be a great idea to run down the beach in the front of the house. There was a beach in the front of the house that had kind of a sand area, and it had a volleyball net, and uh, they decided it would be great to run down through that beach, jump in the lake, and swim across the lake. And I thought, yeah, I'll jump right in there too. So I go running down the lake, can you just see me running my little butt off right behind those other... Younger youth, I mean, I jump in the lake, and I am swimming for all I've got, man. I mean, I'm, I'm giving it 100%. I'm giving it everything. everything. <laughs> in about two minutes... 2 minutes i began to fail the test right okay so my so my arms started to wear out and i started to flop like a dog in the middle of the water and my legs started to wear out and i was i was i was getting scared i i wasn't even halfway across the lake yet okay and these guys were they were way ahead of me way ahead of me and picking up speed and i was losing speed um my 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 legs were failing the test my my arms were failing the test my my brain started telling me dude you are going to fail this you're going to drown sucks to be you that's what was happening inside of me okay my lungs were failing i was beginning to get so out of breath that i didn't i just i thought i was going to die i thought i was going to die okay luckily the only thing that wasn't failing was my life jacket so <coughs> <laughs> <laughs> lucky for me i had a life jacket on <laughs> Now that I know that story is humorous, um and, and I did finally make it across the lake. Those other younger staff members came back and hooked the rope up to me and told my my big whale butt over and uh and, and I made it. I made it. I was okay. And they made fun of me for a long time because of it too. Um it was scary. It was scary, but uh humorous as it is, it serves for me as an introduction to point us in this direction. We're going to be talking about our faith being tested. Everybody say tested. Every one of us gets tested in many different ways throughout our walk of life. And just as there were many parts of my body that day that were being tested and failing the test, there are many different pieces and parts of our faith that must be tested. And, And in some cases we are passing the test and in some cases we are are failing the test and and God through James and his words wants to strengthen us and strengthen our faith faith and challenge us in this place. And so the letter of James just by way of kind of introducing the text a little bit, letter of James is <clears throat> believed to have been written by James the brother of Jesus. Imagine that. So you're God's brother, right? And you're going to write I mean this how interesting would that be? I'm Jesus' brother, and I get to write a book of the Bible. That's pretty cool. I mean, I, I'd mark that in my, on my bucket list, right? Uh, so James, Jesus' brother, writes this letter. It's known as a general epistle. Everybody remember that an epistle is a letter written by an apostle. So epistle, apostle, Okay. So it's a general epistle, meaning that it's not written specifically to somebody. So, so for instance, uh, First, Second Timothy and Titus written to specific people. Okay, so Paul wrote those letters to Timothy or Titus. I mean, much like if I wrote a letter to Luke. Right here, I'd say, Luke, I'm writing you this letter. I want you to live this way. And Luke would go, oh, joyful me. I get a, a letter from Joe. And then if I was to write a general letter, I would write it to the well. Okay, how about that? It's a general letter to everyone at the well. That's why this epistle is known as a general epistle. It's written to many different tribes of Israel spread throughout the Middle East. It's known or has been believed to be an exposition. Big word. Everybody say exposition. The word exposition means to lay forward, okay? So there's two words I want to teach you this morning because it's going to be important to our study as we continue forward. One word is exegete. Everybody say exegete. Okay, you got to get some like some good old Baptist power. Like I'm gonna exegete the text right here, my brothers. Now exegete there. See, we got some of you. Now exegete. Exegete means to pull out. Everybody say pull out. Okay. Now exposition means to lay forward. Okay. So everybody say lay forward. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to pull out of the text the meaning of the text, and then we're going we're gonna to exposit or lay it forward so that you know what it means. It's like, and the way my wife uses to, to explain this, her illustration for this is, I'm going to pull the can of Pepsi out of the Pepsi box, and I'm going to set it on the table for you. Okay, that, that's exegete and exposit or exposition. It's to pull out and to lay forth the job of a preacher. What some people think about this book of James is an exposition, a laying forth, of the meaning or more deeper meaning behind the Sermon on the Mount of Christ. Okay? So, so there is a way that you can study James as well as study Christ's Sermon on the Mount and they would, they would line up together. It's really interesting. Another way that the book of James is known is it's known also as the Proverbs of the New Testament. How many of you by show of hands ever read anything from the book of Proverbs? The book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's written like a father to a son. My son have wisdom. My son take heed. My son do this. My son do that. It's part of the wisdom literature, okay? Okay. So, Proverbs is all about wisdom, whereas Psalms is all like poetry and frilly, girly things, right? I love Psalms. Don't look at me that way, Brittany. I love Psalms. So, Psalms is, Psalms is my favorite right alongside of Proverbs. So, Proverbs, wisdom literature, James is known as the Proverbs of the New Testament, meaning that... It could be part of wisdom literature, okay, because it is very wise in the way it's written. It's very direct. It's like, pow, right in your face. right? I was going to ask Tanner to bring me some boxing gloves. I'm going to ask him to bring them next week, and we're going gonna to hang them on the pulpit so that you understand that as we read the book of James, this is not going to be easy listening, okay? This is not going to be fun, happy, go lucky, smile, cheerful. I'm going to leave here like, woo the preacher was so good. You're going to leave here like... Holy smack, dude. Like, I got, I, Jesus, you got to do some work on me. Because that's the way James writes. He is direct. He is straightforward. He is in your face with what he has to say. And we chose this book, leaders, as, as we prayed together and, and discuss and talked about where do we go next. We chose this book because we believe that the Lord is going to use it to help strengthen and grow you guys, our church. So the main message the main message of the book of James goes like this. The letter of James basically serves the church today as a practical how-to, a practical how-to instruction manual for how to live out your faith, okay? That's the way James is. Practical how-to. You ever ask the question, man, what do I do here? How do I handle this? Or how do I make this decision, man? Go to James. James will set you straight, and then it's on you to follow it, Okay? That's the way James is, is written. And the main message is this that actions speak louder than words. Actions speak louder than words. And your works or your lifestyle, your works or your lifestyle will prove the presence of or the absence of your faith, the strength of or the weakness of your faith. James is basically sh- saying, now you want to talk about your faith, that's fine. I'm going to show you my faith by the way that I live my life. That's James. For James, it's not merely enough to call yourself a Christian. That's not enough for James. For James, if a person calls himself a Christian, they must prove their claim of being a Christian by the actions of their lifestyle. So no more no more can we stand in front of the mirror of God's Word, the Holy Scriptures. No more can we stand in front of that as we read James and walk away without depending more deeply on Christ to help us live the way that God has called us to live. It's really an instruction manual on holiness and holy living. See, we live in a culture where, where, uh, where license is the name of the day, right? Where license is the way. I want to do what I want to do, and you can't tell me how to live. That's, that's the culture we live in. To be honest with you, it's been the culture all throughout all time. It's been that same culture of man looking at God and saying, regardless of what you say, I'm going to do me, I'm going to do my own thing. Don't think you can step down in that and tell me what to do. That, that's sin. That's ultimately what sin is. And sin has infected each and every one of us to the extent that we say, I'm going to make my own rules for how I live. And I'm going to take a piece of this, I'm going to take a piece of that, I like this and a little bit of that. And this is, this is my religion. This is my philosophy. This is my relationship with God. This is the way I want to live my lifestyle. But God through James says, no, no, if you're going to call yourself a Christian. Then your actions need to begin to match. And so my hope is that as we begin and then continue our study over the next few months, my prayer is that our Heavenly Father puts in front of us a picture of our need for Jesus and our need to live in the way that he calls us to. There's no more faking it, no more pretending. It's time for us all to grow up. So let me pray. Before I read the text. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, God, that you would take your word and do powerful things with it this morning, and that you would change and transform our lives. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. I'm going to start in verse 1 of chapter 1. The book of James, we're going to read down through uh, roughly verse 15, and then I'm going to go back and, and make about five points out of the text. It starts this way, James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. Powerful, direct, straightforward. He doesn't pull his punches at all. Man, if James were a preacher, it'd be scary to sit under his preaching. Power-packed, direct punches. There's a difference between the way James writes and the way that Paul writes. When you study Paul, when he writes Galatians or Ephesians, Philippians, any of those other books he writes, Paul writes in a very high philosophical way. He's got these run-on sentences that last forever and never end. And trying to chop those things down and figure out what the subject of the sentence is and the preposition and all the verbs and application and all these, all these things is, is almost impossible sometimes to study the Pauline epistles. When, when studying what James has to say, there's no no question in our mind what James is trying to say there's only this need to expound on it a little bit more to drive it home a little bit more in case our hearts are not open the first time upon hearing it I believe that God's word is powerful and can do its work without me even saying another word I believe that as I read it God's word began doing a work in some of your hearts already But just for the sake of being faithful to the text and being faithful as your pastor, I'm going to jump through the text and make about five different points. Take a look at verse 1. In verse 1, we see that our faith will be tested by first impressions. First impressions. Our faith will be tested. James greets the 12 tribes of Israel, right? And in Acts 1, if you look in Acts 1, Just make that note. If you were to check out Acts 1, you'll remember that Stephen is martyred and the Jews are scattered. right? Stephen is martyred, the Jews scatter. This is who James is writing to. It's commonly believed that when James wrote this, this this is like the earliest book of the New Testament written. Most likely the first. And if it hadn't been for his mention of Jesus in the text, they would have put it with the Old Testament canon. So most likely the earliest book to be written. And it's written to the Jews who have been scattered through persecution. And so just put yourself in that place. They're Israelites, they're Jews, they're part of the 12 tribes of Israel, and they've been suffering great persecution. You and I don't know what persecution is compared to what these people were facing. (coughs) So as James is writing this, if he's writing this to you, he's saying, look, I know that you have some suffering going on. I understand that you are living in a situation that is extremely difficult, tough to bear, and hard, hard to live with. And so James greets these 12 tribes. He refers to himself as a servant of God and Christ. Look at the text. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Interesting, interesting. Imagine serving your brother, right? So if Jesus were your older brother, and now you're like, hey, I'm just, his. I mean, can you imagine growing up as Jesus' little brother in the first place? Like, I mean, just just imagine, just with me for a minute, like, okay, so Jesus turns water into wine, right? Right? He turns water into wine, and then they're looking at you, like, James, what can you do? <laughs> well, I don't know, I can play the drum, <laughs> you know, <laughs> poor James. <laughs> I can just imagine, you know, when Jesus moves on to another town, and, and James is left there, and they're like, "Hey, so he's gone. Like, can you can you do some miracles or something?" <laughs> James is like, "Well, I can write a book." <laughs> um, calls himself servant. He doesn't start off. He doesn't start off just banging really hard in your face. He's not like, "Dude, I'm the brother of Jesus man. You better respect this, right?" He's not like that. He introduces himself as a servant. And and it, and I think if if you and I were li- if you and I were James and we understood the extent that Jesus went to serve us through His death on the cross, then it, there would be no thing whatsoever. It would be not difficult whatsoever to say, you know what, I'm a servant. To refer to yourself that way. The title of servant is a mark of humility. I think James uses that intentionally. As he comes in to write this letter, he says, man, I'm, just, I'm a servant of God. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm here to serve you with my words. My words are going to be power-packed. They're going to be hard to hear at times, but I'm here to serve. And it's a mark of delegated authority when you say, I am your servant. It's a mark saying that, you know what, authority has been delegated to me from somebody else to serve you. And I'm going to use it in a way not to harm you, but to help you. And so your faith, your faith and my faith, will be tested by first impressions. Think of the first time that you met that significant other, right? Or the first time you met maybe that boss that you really wanted that job for. Or the first time you met that one friend. You wanted to put your best foot forward. You wanted to wear the nicest clothes. You wanted them to think highly of you. How do you greet others when you you see other people? What is your greeting when you see them? And when you meet them, are you insecure? Or are you overly anxious? Are you overly insecure about whether they're going to like you or not? Are you overly prideful? Come off as arrogant maybe. What is the first thing you communicate when seeing someone? And what takes priority in your conversations with others around you? And what kind of impression are you attempting to make when you first meet people? It becomes a test of your faith as people pick up on that first impression. Look at verses 2 through 4. In verses 2 through 4, we see that our faith will be tested in our suffering. Our faith will be tested in our suffering. Suffering, in verse 2, suffering will batter us in various different forms. The text says, count all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of, the that word there is various. Trials of various kinds. Meaning like waves of an ocean to a swimmer. They just continue to come, and they will not stop. And it will almost feel overwhelming at times, and it's in that place of suffering where your faith is tested. And will you wilt? Will you give up, and will you walk away? Or will that suffering cause your faith to grow, and will you turn to the Lord? Will you become poor, pitiful me, or will you become, you know what? Thank God, He's the God of angel armies. He's bigger than anything that I face. Suffering will batter us in various different forms. But it should be met with joy. It should be met with great joy. Not despair. Not despair where we go and we sit in the corner and we suck our thumb. That's what I like to do too, right? Not really. It should be met with joy. Because joy sets the course for strong character. When you choose actively on your own to say, you know what, this is tough. This is difficult. But I'm going to live in joy regardless of my circumstances. That's God's character being grown in you. The flip side of that is entitlement. When you live with an attitude of entitlement, it sets the course for weak character. Entitlement says, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this suffering. I deserve better than this. My husband should treat me better than that. My wife should this. My kids should that. My friend should have this. My boss should not have that. That is entitlement. When we live with an an attitude of entitlement, it's based on pride and it sets the course for weak character. God wants to strengthen your character so that in the midst of any kind of suffering, regardless of what your wife or your husband or your kids or your employer or your friends or your teachers or anyone does around you, God wants you to live in joy, not despair, not in an attitude of pride-based entitlement. So suffering tests our faith, because faith in our own strength will fail the test every time. Faith in my strength will fail every time. But faith in the Spirit's power will pass the test. See, it's God's power in me that keeps me coming back to Him and crying out for more of His presence in my life crying out for more of his help in my life. It's my my acknowledgement and understanding that there is no way that my own strength will pass the test. It's my understanding of that that causes me to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need the power of your spirit in my life because I will fail every time. And in my weakness, you are strong, and I need your strength. Suffering tests our faith. It also produces patience and maturity, right? Think of stretched muscles when you work out at the gym, man. Guys, you're trying to pump up, right? And get those biceps to be like super huge. I mean, just look at Luke's arms, right? Luke's arms. Or look at Brandon. Look at Brandon's arms. I mean, you can tell these guys work out like crazy. Working out those muscles, stretching them, making them strong. What happens is you're stretching the muscles as far as you can. In fact, if you really look at it, you're actually tearing and ripping. You're causing suffering on your muscles. You're causing your muscles to suffer to the extent that when they heal, they become what? Stronger. Stronger. So in suffering, there's the opportunity to grow. Suffering produces patience and maturity. Verses 3 and 4 says this. For you know the testing of your faith produces, what's that word? Steadfastness means patience. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Too many times we're walking around going, I'm lacking all these things, right? Too many times we're walking around that way. That's because we haven't let suffering take its full effect in us. I always remember that rule of no pain, no gain. I was in taekwondo when I was a kid, right? I got a second-degree black belt in taekwondo, which means I can do nothing at my old age anymore. I have a first-degree black belt in hapkido, keto, so don't come pick a fight with me afterwards, okay? I, that's why I own guns. I don't like to fight anymore because I can't. I'm too old. But I remember when I was taking hapkido. keto, man, hapkido keto is all about, like, arm bars and... You know, um, leg locks and, and, you know, joint pain and, and, p- and pressure points. And, and if you watch MMA, MMA is made up of a whole bunch of hapkido have- moves uh, and a little bit of taekwondo. Taekwondo has high kicks and punches and stuff like that. And I remember my taekwondo instructor, his name is Mr. Longoria, is in Lincoln. He always used to tell me, man, Joey, no pain, no gain, man. No pain, no gain, right? And so suffering is the same thing. No pain, no gain. If you think you're going to get through this life without any pain? You're not going to gain anything. You want to try to live your life in comfort, you're not going to get anywhere. Live in comfort. That's fine. You know what happens when people just sit around all day and don't work out? We get fat. Look at me. Okay? This is the product of a man who does not like to work out and likes his life comfortable. Same is true of our spiritual walk. If we want our spiritual walk to just be comfortable, we're not really going to walk a spiritual walk because a spiritual walk is full of suffering. Suffering that produces patience and maturity. You're going to be a little kid the rest of your life spiritually if you don't want to walk through some suffering. Romans 5, 3-5, Paul says that suffering produces endurance, character, and hope. And our hope is in Jesus. See, in suffering, you, you can have your attitude turned towards Jesus every time. Why else would you need Jesus if you didn't face some suffering? Right? One of the early church fathers in the second, third, fourth century, his name is Christostom, he said this, no one wins a trophy without suffering. Now, you think those guys that run around the track and track, think they win the trophy at the end because they didn't suffer a little bit? All the working out during the week, all the fasting and dieting and weightlifting and muscle building, and all, all, the, all the early nights in, all the, all the long days of working out, all the blood, sweat, and tears, right? That's how they won the trophy, they, run the, they won the trophy by running the race well, which is something the Apostle Paul talks about all the time, running the race well. No one wins a trophy without suffering. So how do you face suffering, and what does suffering produce in you? Does suffering produce more sin in your life? That's a good question to ask, and the answer for all of us is sometimes. Sometimes suffering does produce more sin in our lives, right? But if it continues to produce more sin, and more sin, and more sin, our hearts get hardened more and more. The further away we get from God, the more our hearts harden, the more we grieve the Holy Spirit and He can't speak to us because we can't hear Him, because we're building this shell around us. The more and more that happens, the the more distant we become from Him. But sometimes, sometimes, what actually happens is we begin to grow. And God produces something in us like patience and maturity and hope through suffering. Look at point number three in verses five through eight. We see that our faith will be tested by asking God. Man, when you go to ask God for that great big thing, that is a test of your faith. Asking God tests our trust in our own wisdom. Right? Asking God tests our trust in our own wisdom. When we go to God and we say, God, will you, what we're really saying is we're saying, I don't have it. I don't have the wisdom for this thing. I need you to help me. And so we're laying aside what we believe to be our own wisdom. We're saying, God, we need yours. In fact, the text specifically says we should ask him for wisdom. In verse 5, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives what? Let me read it again. Go back to the text. If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously. 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 Our God is a great big giver, right? Yet the things that he gives us, we don't want to give him, right? We want to make our own rules on how we give back to him. We want to make our own rules on how to be generous with him, right? We can say, well, I was pretty generous, man. Like like I gave four sodas to Holly the other day. That was was pretty generous, right? That's not even close to what Jesus has given for us. That's not even close to what our Father in heaven has given for us. how many years I struggled with the tithing principle, Personally, I just struggle with it because that was my money, right? Why would I give any of my money back to a church? That seems really stupid to me, right? Like, I might give five bucks, the worship was good, 20 bucks to the preacher was really good. But tithing, I mean, 10%, principle of the Old Testament. Well, that was the Old Testament. That's not for the new. Now, here's the picture. Man, God's been a generous God all the way from the beginning of this book here to the end. And for me to say I should not be generous in the way He's asked me to, Pretty ridiculous. Pretty ridiculous. It says, ask. Because he gives generously without reproach. Meaning that we can trust him. He will continue to give. It says, and it will be given to him. Verse 6, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Man, we often project our own shortcomings onto God. We often believe that since we have failed to meet the test, that God also fails to meet the test. And that sometimes is what stops us from going to Him and asking Him. And it shows a weakness in our faith. And asking God tests our level of doubt. It tests our levels of doubt. Because a thread of doubt can undo the faith that saves. i say that again. A thread of doubt can undo the faith that saves. Now, if you let doubt run its course deep down inside of you without turning to the Lord and saying, man, give me some wisdom, God. I need to understand how to get through this. I need to understand if the way that I'm thinking is right or the way I'm acting is right. If you don't do that, your doubt can undo the faith that saves you. Asking God also tests our ability to receive from the Lord. And some of us just have a hard time receiving from other people. It's just really hard. Because there's a foundation of pride that says, I, I, I don't want to be in a position of needing you. I don't want to be in a position of needing to rely on somebody else because I've been hurt by other people. Every time I try to rely on somebody, I get hurt. So why should I do that anymore? But really, what it shows, what it really shows, is that that our ability to receive is directly proportionate to the way that we trust God and ask Him for things. It's an outcome of our faith. When I trust God, the maker of everything, what people do to me doesn't matter anymore. Still hurts, I still feel, but I don't begin to mistrust Him because He is a good and holy God. And all things that He lets come into my life are for good purposes and for His glory. Asking God also tests the stability of our trust in the Lord. An authentic faith trusts in God's stability through every season, not just some. What James is arguing here in verses 5 through 8 is that, is that we need to be consistent in our asking God for things. Don't stop asking Him. There's nothing too big that you could ask Him for. And believe it. Believe that He can do it because He can. So your faith will be tested when you ask God, Whose wisdom are you leaning on? Your own or God's? And do you truly see God as being more generous than you are? Or do you think that somehow you're out giving God? Because my understanding is that you can't outgive God because he's the maker and owner of all things. Do you doubt that God will come through for you, or do you trust that he can do it? Are you excited to receive from the Lord, or do you cringe every time you think about having to ask him for one more thing? And is your dependence on the Lord consistent and stable, or is it unstable, cast back and forth by the winds and waves of the sea? Let's look at number four, verses nine through eleven. Our faith will be tested by our pursuits, right? Our faith will be tested by our pursuits. The things that you pursue in this life will test the stability and the authenticity of your faith. Verses 9 through 11 says this, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Our pursuits can be motivated in one of two ways, either by a humble appetite or a prideful appetite. And here's the interesting thing about pride. It's very deceptive. Pride is very deceptive. There's something called false humility, which really becomes poor pitiful me. That's really false humility, false humbleness. And poor, pitiful me actually has a foundation of pride because it's trying to get attention. So our pursuits can be motivated by a a humble appetite that does not seek its own gain because humble pursuits are exalted by God. And so a humble appetite does not seek its own gain. It seeks the gain and the good of others and the gain and the glory and the attention to God, not self. That's the defining difference. In verses 10 through 11, we see that our, our pursuits can be motivated by a prideful appetite. It talks about the rich man. And a prideful appetite seeks its own gain. It's not looking out for other people. It's looking out for self. And while looking out for self, shames other people. Okay, Shames and then puts the big thumb down on other people so that I can become bigger because of the pride inside of me. And you can do all that while saying, I suck so bad. You can do that because you make people feel sorry for you. Follow me? pride. Pride is so deceptive. Flowers get scorched and wither away, fall and perish. And the text points out to us that prideful people get scorched, they wither away, and they fall and perish too. And I've watched it happen over and over again. And it's happened time and time again in my own life. As pride begins to rear its ugly head, I begin to get scorched. I begin to wither away. I begin to fall and perish. And as I'm falling down, I'm going, God, please save me. Because salvation is something that's worked out on a daily basis. It's not a one-time thing. You will not once and for all just beat pride this side of heaven until you're standing in front of Jesus. So your faith will be tested by your pursuits. Another uh, early church father from the 3rd, 4th century, Ocumenius, says this, says, What puffs you up brings you down. What puffs you up brings you down. It reminds me of a, of a guy that gets all swelled up like this and somebody comes over with a pin, pop, falls down. What puffs you up brings you down. Whatever it is that puffs your little brain up and makes you think about yourself more than God, whatever that thing is, God's sure to pop that bubble here pretty soon. Certain. God's sure to pop that bubble here pretty soon. Proverbs 16 through 18 basically says that pride equals destruction and arrogance equals the fall. Pride equals destruction and arrogance equals the fall. How do you know when you're seeking your own gain? Are you setting your sights on eternal things? Do you see your physical pursuits as resources for an eternal kingdom? Or are they just resources for you and your little kingdom that you're building downstairs in the basement? What is that kingdom you're building? Is it for the Lord or is it for you? For your own personal gain or for his? For the good of others? What motivates your next purchase? Ask that question. Why is it that you're dreaming about buying that car? Why are you thinking about buying that thing off the internet right now? What motivates that purchase? If it's only for your own selfish gain, it's motivated by pride. It's not motivated by the Lord. One bit. Why are you seeking that next relationship? Is that next relationship so that you can feel better about yourself, so you can feel more fulfilled, so you can feel like you fit in with everyone else who has that relationship? What is it for you? Is it just just the sense of loneliness? And let me tell you, in relationships, man, there's... (laughs) There's many times, many nights I still feel lonely. Even though my wife and I have been married now for, for 11 years. I better get that one right or I'll be real lonely for a while. <laughs> There's many times when, when, when my wife and I are not, we're not connecting all eight cylinders. I still feel lonely. And if I'm going to look to her to fill all that lonely void in me, I'm gonna con- she's going to continue to fail me. And I'm going to continue to be hurt by her. I'm going to continue to have expectations of her that are wrong. Make sense? sense? But if I begin to look to the Lord and I begin to say, Lord, I feel lonely, I need your presence, and he begins to fill that up, so now I'm looking to the right place. Why am I seeking that next relationship? What motivates your pursuit of that next career position? Is it power and prestige, bigger paycheck? What if God gave you a smaller paycheck tomorrow? Would you face that with joy or would you become despaired? Look at number five, verses 12 through 15 says this. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. He himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Number five, our faith will be tested by temptation. Our faith will be tested by temptation. I would love to take an entire week on this last point and talk about this last point for an entire week. So maybe next Sunday, I think we come back and we look at this piece. Number one, we're way out of time. Number two, there's so much in this last piece that there's no way I can give it justice and and do it faithfully. So I'm gonna ask Harley to come up and we're gonna close out in in a song of worship. Uh, By way of summary, I would just summarize those first four four points. God allows our faith to be tested in many different ways. Suffering, the way that we come across to people the first time we see them, the way we make our decisions, the way that we trust him and we ask him for things. These are all different ways that God tests our faith. And the idea is this, that God, God is the author of your faith author and finisher. It's Hebrews 11 and 12, somewhere in there, that says that he is the author and finisher, the perfecter of your faith. And James basically adds to that and says, you know what? If you have faith, turn to Jesus as his servant and let him strengthen your faith. So my prayer for you guys this week is that you continue to dig into this text, continue to dig into these points of the scripture, and just think through them. We're gonna come back next week and work through that last point. Let me pray, and then I'll let Harley... Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the Book of James. We thank you that uh, you're a God who interacts with your people; that you don't just leave us alone. Thank you, God, that we're not left alone just to somehow live out this thing called faith. That as we follow you, you also give us your Spirit to empower us and strengthen us. Lord, the text, the text specifically gave us direction to ask, and to ask without doubting. And so, God, I ask today that you would strengthen the faith of every person here in this room. And, Lord, that if there are some in the room whose hearts have never been regenerated, restarted, who have never have never repented from their current walk of sin to then turn and believe in you and the work that, that, that you did on the cross that day through your Son, Lord, I pray, I pray and I ask today, God, that, that you, through your spirit, would make that happen. God, that you would change people's lives radically in these moments. And that they would turn to a saving faith in you. And I know there are some here who are just struggling with some things. Got some family issues going on. Got some financial pressures. Got relational things happening. Still trying to figure out how to make uh, ends meet. Still trying to figure out how uh, to keep a marriage together. Still trying to figure out how to discipline children. Still trying to figure out how to live in right relationship with you and with others God I pray that your spirit would would continue that work of strengthening in people's lives so that our lives would would give evidence to the holiness that, that you're placing within us God make us a holy nation, Lord God make this church family a a fine and clear representation of you in this community so that unbelievers would be attracted to you. Not so that people would be attracted to me or our music team or the really cool TVs or any, or anything, God, that they would just be attracted to you. But our hearts cry this morning is that people would come to know you and that people would be empowered by your spirit from that moment forward to live lives that are changed and that then glorify you lives that give evidence to the fact that you are real, that you are the creator and the sustainer of the universe and everything in it. Lord, regardless of technological failures or heat that sometimes doesn't work when we walk in the building on Sunday mornings, or regardless of all these little distractions, we want you and your presence. We want you to, to wipe out the sin in our hearts and our lives. We want you to cleanse us and change us and make us new and make us like you. Lord, we know that we fail the test on our own every day. We know that your son passed the test and gave his life for us. We're grateful to you. We want to be like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Follow along with us.
1: Oh, to be like you, give all I have just to know, you. Jesus, there's no one beside you. Forever the hope in my heart. Oh, to be like you, give all I have just to know. Jesus, there's no one beside you Ever the hope in my heart And it's all Because of you, Jesus, it's all Because of you, Jesus, it's all Because of your love, then my soul Jesus, it's all because of you, Jesus. It's all because of your love and my soul. Oh, to be like you, give all I have just to know you. Jesus, there's no one beside you. to be like give all I have just to know Jesus, there's no one beside you, ever the hope in my heart, and it's all because of you, Jesus, it's all. It's all because of your love, and my soul, and it's all because of you, Jesus. It's all because of you, Jesus. It's all because of of your love, and my soul, it's all because of you jesus it's all because of you jesus it's all because of your love then my soul and it's all because of you jesus it's all because of you, Jesus, it's all Because of your love, then my soul yeah. Oh, to be like you Give all I have just to know you Jesus, there's no one beside you Ever the hope in my heart Oh, to be like you, give all I have just to know you. Jesus, there's no one beside you. Forever the hope in my heart. Just the voices. Oh, to be like you, give all I have just to know you. Jesus, there's no one beside you, forever the hope in my heart. One more time. Oh, to be like you, give all I have just to know you. Jesus, there's no one beside you, forever the hope in my
0: heart. Father, we bless you today. We love you. We thank you. We're grateful to you for your presence. Pray, God, that you would be with your people this week and that you would encourage us. Lord, some of us are just going back to work. Some of are just going back to school. Oh, God, we just we love you. We pray that you, your presence would be near to us throughout the week. And I thank you for these people here. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. Thanks for being here today. You are listening to an audio message from The Well, a church in Hastings, Nebraska that seeks to be relevant, relational, and real. For more information, visit www.TheWellHastings.com.